Welcome to the Sermon Recap Podcast, where we sit down with the preacher each week from the past Sunday to discuss his message and his experience with the sermon text. This week, Pastor Josh and I sit down with Pastor Matthew to discuss what made him choose his approach for this Sunday, and whether interpreting the Bible accurately comes into conflict with preaching to our church specifically. At the end, we address the roles and the meaning of the trees of life and the knowledge of good and evil. So I pray that this episode of the Sermon Recap will be enlightening and edifying to you today. Now, on to the podcast. All right, we're back with another one of these Sermon Recap podcasts. Uh, I'm Avery Thorne here with Josh Poor and Matthew Gilbert. No time for pleasantries. Let's get down to business. Um, so Matthew, this week, no pleasantries. Oh, none. That's I'm, not what I signed up for. I'm only here for the pleasantries. This is know? all business, guys. Oh, business! While we hear the lawnmower coming through our microphones, which, We're, as I said earlier, is no different than listening to a sermon and hearing my children come through Matthew's microphone. Yeah, well, we're we're all about uh, some podcasting here at Church of Trace Crossing. <laughs> we take this. Now we're very, very professional. Serious. This is maybe the most serious duty that we have all week, really. Yeah. Um, so what I love is that this is our third go around, and this is our third location to do this. Third in. location. We're switching the studio <laughs> up. We are dedicated to progress. <laughs> our version of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, uh, so Matthew, this week um, you preached on Genesis two. Uh, 4 through 17, which is a passage that is ripe with angles to take, uh, ripe with um, ideas that that can quickly become rabbit trails and sort of thing. So could you just spend a few minutes elaborating um, how you arrived at, you know, your your nice triple P uh, Baptist sermon structure, how yeah. you arrived at your decision to, uh, to grapple with the text the way you did and that sort of thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was extra Baptist, you know, this past Sunday. We had three sermon points. Each started with the letter P. It was... It was lovely, you know. And Full disclosure, I loved it. It spoke it spoke to my heart, you know. I but I'm also a sucker for alliteration, so yeah, the alliteration you know, that gets me, man. I love it. Yeah, that's what I spent most of the week doing was just finding the right alliteration for the sermon points because obviously that's the most important. Part. Even if there were better words you could have used. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. The, the only thing that we were missing from it was like an internal rhyme structure uh, that was the same across <laughs> each of the three points. Next, next time. Next time. I would have given you a standing ovation <laughs> for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Genesis 2, really Genesis 1 through 3. You could even expand it, Genesis 1 through 11. It's so rich. It's, it's really the reason we decided to start this podcast. There, there are, as you said, there are so many angles that, that you can take. You have in Genesis 2, the Garden of Eden is introduced. So there's a ton you could say just about the Garden of Eden itself. You have the creation of, of Adam, you know, that is, is given in more detail in chapter 2 than what we find in chapter 1. And the way that that is described, you could have a sermon on that. I was actually talking to one of our church members after the first service Sunday, and, and he literally said there are, you know, you could do an entire sermon series just on Genesis 2. And, and he's right. I mean, we, we could expound upon, you know, uh, so many different ideas, 
um, whenever I'm preparing for a sermon, and I think we each take this approach, as we're studying, we want to first be impacted by the text. We, we want to personally, as we're studying, we're not just going straight to commentaries. Uh, we are dealing with the text itself first, and we are, we are, you know, it's a prayerful process. We want to see how the Spirit uses the Word to to change our hearts, um, and and I want to I want to see what stands out to me first, and then we go to commentaries, other sources to make sure we're not seeing something that's you know not there. Um, so that that's one uh, initial thing that's on my mind. The other thing we think of as we're preparing to preach is our own people. You know, where where are we as a church? Even though we preach you know verse by verse through books of the Bible, so we know exactly what's coming up next. We're not you know spending the week praying and asking the Lord to show us a passage to preach. We know what's coming. As we're preparing throughout the week, we are considering how, how does this text, you know, hit our church where we are right now, you know? And so with those two things in mind, um, you know, I chose to emphasize the relationship between God and his people before sin entered the world. You know, what was that relationship like? And are there any corollaries to how we live life with God now? So, uh, I, you know, the Garden of Eden, we, we think of it as this just distant, you know, almost, you know, uh, magical, if not mythical place where, you know, these, these glorious things happen and it just doesn't feel like a very familiar place at all. And, and as we saw, you know, people were created uh, to depend on the Lord. People were created to live in the Lord's presence. And, and you know, people were created with very clear purposes. And, and that remains true today. Uh, so I wanted to focus on those things. However, a, a very clear angle that we could have taken is, is looking at the Garden of Eden as a temple sanctuary itself. And, you know, we could have really just, the first sermon point was my longest where I talked about the Lord's presence, but that could have been the whole sermon. You know, I, I could have uh, given a biblical theology of the presence of God, and we could have walked all throughout the scriptures. We could have shown how the elements that we see in the Garden of Eden are present in the tabernacle, are present in the temple. And, we, we, you know, even though we mentioned it, we could have really went into detail about how in the incarnation God is once again returning to dwell with his people and how that's the, the end goal of, you know, the whole arc of the narrative of scripture is the, the you know, dwelling place of God is with man. And even though we mentioned those things throughout, we really could have just spent the whole sermon focusing on God's presence, you know, with his people. Um, however, you know, when you do that, that means that you, you might need to leave out other aspects that are also important. And so in my study, what actually stood out to me, even though it wasn't the primary thing we talked about in the sermon, what stood out to me personally was the careful intentional provision of God for his people and how Adam, even though he was created, you know, without sin, he was entirely dependent on his life and on his sustenance, you know, from God. He, he needed every single thing that he had and he needed it from God. And so it, it just really hit me, you know, am, am I relying on God in the way that Adam himself, you know, was, was created to rely on God? Um, I think we think of reliance on God in terms of our limitations, in terms of the suffering that we experience, in terms of the sin that's within us. And we think, well, we need God because we're so flawed. Well, Adam in the garden, you know, he did not suffer. He, he had no sin within him, and yet he is the creature. You know, he was made from dust. And so it's by nature of that relationship that he is entirely dependent on any good thing that the Lord would give him. So 
So yeah, that's, that's one thing that stood out to me. So that's why we didn't emphasize just the presence of the Lord. We wanted to get into the provision and also the purposes. Right, yeah. And one thing I'd, I'd ask about uh, kind, kind of what you were talking about as far as when you come to a text, um, you have uh, the way that the text impacts you, the way that you uh, think that will impact the congregation the most. So how does that kind of jive, when you make those choices, how does that jive with uh, the ways that, that we want to emphasize exegetical preaching, of course, you know, uh, we want, by that, of course, we mean bringing out the meaning of the text. And, you know, how uh, does that kind of, kind of jive with that? You know, a lot of people will be like, you know, just give me the word, just give me the word. So how, um, yeah, how does that approach where you, where you want to say, you know, how is this working in me? How do I, I desire for it and pray for God to use it to work in our congregation? How do those two things meet? And intersect yeah, for you? I, I think that the exegesis is the bedrock of all of that. So, you know, the sermon or the passage can can impact me in a in a very clear way. But if it is something that I'm imposing on the text, it's not the text that's impacting me. You know, it's it's something that already exists within my own heart or mind that I might be forcing onto the text. So the exegesis is the is the groundwork. So that's that's where the 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 work of of digging out what what was the intention here, what what was the meaning, and as long as we're working within those boundaries, it's it's there that we start that. That works. So the exegesis comes first, and then from there, the, okay, so here's the truth. What are the implications? What are the applications? How does it hit me? And that's primarily what a sermon is. Now, if we were teaching this passage in, in for example, a, an equipping class or, or possibly through a podcast or something like that, we might be more exege- exegesis heavy, you know, we might be, you know, less concerned about the direct application, uh, less concerned about how it applies to your heart. We might be digging into, okay, what was meant here? What about the original context? What about the, the biblical languages? And, you know, all that stuff that, that we work on throughout the week that doesn't come out in the sermon might come out in, you know, a different setting. Right. Yeah, that's, that's why I think it's so great to have, you know, uh, your pastor preaching messages because, you know, you care about uh, Trace and its members in a, in a special way. Um, and so that message is, is specifically for us. So, yeah, so uh, I think Josh had a little bit different uh, kind of line of questioning he wanted to talk about with uh, some questions about the tree of life. The so trees? I'll, yeah. You want to talk about trees? I'll turn that over to him. Yeah, since you guys have covered, you know, all of the really meaningful stuff. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All of the really heartwarming stuff. And I, I should say, I got a second uh, Avery's encouragement of you, brother, because you you really balance well, not only in this sermon, but you have a, a pattern and a habit of balancing well, preaching to our heads. We often use these three H's. Yeah, we yeah. want to stick with the, the Baptist model. That's right. <laughs> we, you know, you balance so well preaching to our heads, preaching to our hearts, and preaching to our hands. You know, you want to to have a... Uh, a sort of holistic approach to to the way that you engage us, or really you want to get out of the way and let the Word engage us, and let the Spirit engage us uh, through the preaching of the Word, and um, and that's a great thing. We should we should never, uh, with any text of Scripture, uh, you know, forsake that balance and forsake that holistic way of preaching, and you do a great job of that. So on to the uh, more interesting. Um, 
or less interesting, I should say, but um, I guess more thought-provoking and no, mysterious. Sa- more interesting, interesting because it's more mysterious. How's that? For sure. You know? Tree of Life is mentioned along with the tree of the knowledge of good and, and evil. Uh, all of what is planted and grown by the Lord is given to Adam uh, and Eve for food, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there is a very specific command and warning uh, sort of attached to that tree. And yet the tree of life is also mentioned along with it. So what, uh, I guess a sort of twofold question would be, what are, what, what's the difference between those two trees um, from what we know of scripture? And you will have to go outside of this text a little bit, you know, um, but also, you know, t- sort of taking a stab at what's going on with the tree of life. What is that? Are we to assume they could eat from that tree since no mandate was given or command was given that they couldn't? Man, just give us what, what you think about the tree yeah. of life and these trees and what's going on here. Man, the trees. Uh, we, could, we could probably do a, an entirely different podcast episode just on the theme of trees in the Bible. Because, I mean, not just the tree of life, but trees in general just are a prominent theme throughout the scriptures. And the, even even just, you know, Jesus even referring to himself as the the true vine, you know, and his disciples are the branches. And so there, there are all kinds of, of you know, uh, linkages to, to trees throughout the scripture. And we really, even if we just consider, you know, Genesis 2, we just stay here. We have, you know, in, in verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as you said, uh, later in the same passage, Adam is forbidden from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it's, it's dangerous sometimes to, to make assumptions in general, in, in, in general in life, uh, it's, it's dangerous to make assumptions uh, about Scripture. But, you know, one assumption that we can make is that, yeah, they were uh, not only permitted, but encouraged to, to take and eat from the tree of life. Um, we can assume from the tree of life also that the tree of life itself is not some magical tree that that somehow is different from the rest in essence like this is some kind of tree that exists where you know you take from it and eat and and you you receive life in a different kind of way it's it's representative of the life of god so like like the, as they eat from that it's not the tree that's providing life it's it's god himself who continues to provide life for his people as they eat from that tree so not like the fountain of youth and tree fruit <laughs> Right, right. It's not it's not some mystical you know tree in that way. Uh, that's what we can assume from this passage uh, that that eating from this tree is taking from the benevolent hand of God uh, and receiving the name of the tree, receiving life. Uh, whereas you know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, you know five or six different ways people have proposed. Like, okay, what does this mean? Um, Ultimately, it means taking and eating from this tree is pursuing something outside the will of God for the original people. Um, it's, it's desiring, 
either divine wisdom, they want the wisdom of the divine and don't want to trust the Lord, they want to make their own way, and it's, rep- again, representative. So there wasn't some, like, poison in that specific tree, like, hey, listen, all these trees are good except for this one, you eat that one, and, you know, it's going to make you really sick. You know, it's not, it's not in the tree itself, it's representative of uh, their relationship with the Lord. Will you continue to trust the Lord and come to the Lord for life, or will you seek it, you know, your, your, for yourself in your own way? Um, that's the distinction we find between the two. The tree of life most basically is representative of the life that is offered. And, you know, you can make connections throughout the scriptures. Um, the, once again, uh, we do find life through a tree where, you know, Christ is crucified on a tree um, on, mm. on the cross, and it's through his death and, and resurrection that that we once again find life. And then, yeah, just the metaphor continues with him being the vine, us being the branches. It's almost as if we're all, you know, growing into trees where life is produced and enjoyed yeah. forever. Then it shows back up in Revelation 22 yes. when we are permitted, uh, those of us who have come to faith in Christ, to eat of the tree of life again. Yeah, and after we're forbidden, you know, after with we're the forbidden, exile, you know, you know from the so, garden. But, what happens to it after we're forbidden? I mean, it goes wherever the rest of the Garden of Eden wherever went, Eden went. <laughs> you know, into the heavenly realm or wherever. Uh, but suffice to say, and I like how you kind of boiled it down, uh, the tree of life represents life with God yeah. and depending on God. And the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil represents life without God and depending on ourselves uh, for sustenance. And we see what happens when we depend on ourselves for sustenance, or we will see. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but which is an interesting, you know, connection. You guys can share thoughts on this, but you know, we're prone to continue figuratively to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and and there's a there's a tendency for us to to believe that self sufficiency is the life that is really life. You know, where we're not, we don't need anyone else. You know, like that's the goal. Like you're depending on your parents and then, you know, you're out on your own and you become independent and you don't need your parents anymore. Like you can be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. And, you know, you feel like that's, that's the only way we can become truly satisfied. When in reality, we were completely created to be dependent beings, you know, upon God himself. And as we'll see next week on one another. And on one another. We're never, you know, really self-sufficient as much as sometimes we want to think and believe that we are. A truly self-sufficient life is a life that doesn't need God and doesn't need his people. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's a wilderness sort of outside of Eden place to be and not where we want to be as, as, uh, as his creation. So, Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I'm just concur with you that we have a tendency uh, towards, um, you know, absolute self-reliance where, you know, the virtuous person is someone who's completely self-made, who's paid their house off, who's, you know, paid their car off and is in need of nobody for anything. And um, in Eden, we find a completely different picture where a man and woman aren't even clothed, you know, they're dependent on God for everything and uh and almost in the same way that a child you know just trusts their their parents as they tell them what's right what's good um you know and we have that same obligation to trust god and uh and what he's declared to be right and good and and uh virtuous for us but um yeah we 
uh, one of my professors at Blue Mountain always talked about the grasping transaction and where uh, Adam was always reaching, you know, for the fruit. Um, in the same way, we make that grasping transaction all the time when we're trying to, uh, to hoard for ourselves, take in for ourselves. So, yeah, I think that was a really good point. We'll, we'll get more into that. Yeah, we'll steal that illustration come. and use it for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. the grasping like transaction. Yeah, like Since it. he didn't name the person, we just it's ours now. Do I have to? Douglas right. Bain. That was who did it. <laughs> grasping at straws. I'll send, I'll send this podcast. Chasing the wind. That way he'll he'll know how to. <laughs> I, I'm sure he'll send the like a you know legal notice uh, <laughs> to <laughs> copyright infringement. I'm sure he'll listen too. Oh, I'm sure. Know. Yeah. And That's to assume though. we have more than three listeners. We know that Corey Wages listens. Thanks, Corey. We appreciate your uh, encouragement every yeah, week. Yeah, he, uh, he, he makes sure to, to let us know uh, what he found helpful. We haven't found out what he didn't find helpful yet, so maybe he'll tell us that this week. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we'll disregard that. All right. Well, kidding, kidding. I guess, uh, you know, unless there's any questions um, that you'll have uh, at this moment. No, I mean, I think, you know, we move into the next couple weeks and – uh, things start to take a turn. Obviously, we have one more week of Eden without sin. You know, so one more podcast that's upbeat, and then after that, we're going to be wearing sackcloth you, and, and, and ashes <laughs> in here when we start talking about the fall. Yeah, I, I preach on that, uh, and and so I'm on the hot seat right after we jump into that. So I think that was intentional. It was. Right? 100%. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Well, I guess we can uh, we can wrap it up and call it a call it a podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Pastors Matthew, Josh, and Avery. We hope you have a great day. Come on.